While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, good morning. How are you? Um, If you were not awake during worship, that did it for you, right? Um, Hey, it is so good to see you. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, I'm Joy Gonzalez, the campus pastor here at Uptown Church. And it's so good to be with you, just like Isaiah said. Whether this is your first time here or you call this place your church home, whether you um, are having a great week, a terrible week, wherever you come from, whatever you believe or don't believe, we are glad that you're here, and we hope you know that you're welcome here in this space. So as you can see, we are starting a new sermon series today, Win in Romans, and the big question I have for you is this. How often do you think of the Roman Empire? Okay, a few of my TikTok people are like, ah, I gotcha. So there's this trend on TikTok where you just randomly ask dudes, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? And I find it hilarious because as a pastor who spends a lot of my time in scripture, studying scripture, have a degree in that, um, I spend a ton of my time thinking about the Roman Empire because the entire Christian movement was birthed against the backdrop of the Roman Empire. And that is exactly what we're diving into in this series, Win in Romans. Because Paul speaks to an influential church in the city of Rome as the Roman Empire sweeping over the world at the height of its glory and begins to answer some of the biggest questions that not only does this church in Rome have, but big questions people all throughout the world since have had about what it means to follow Jesus and the light of the culture in which we find ourselves in, how to follow Jesus in light of our backgrounds, our religious histories, good and bad, how we follow Jesus in a world that sometimes seems overwhelming and looming and breaking apart day after day, though it promises us peace and prosperity. What does it mean to follow Jesus in such an environment? See, the Roman church had a lot of issues. For as influential as they were, so much so that Paul, who was an early church planter who spread the Christian movement all throughout the Mediterranean, saw them as a jumping off point for continuing the Christian movement for all that they had to offer the world and showing us what it means to follow Jesus no matter what is going on around you in your circumstances. They had some big problems that they were working through. Now, I had this experience and I thought of Romans and just go with me here. I I went to my favorite restaurant a few weeks ago. My mom was in town and her husband, and so my husband and I, we took them to one of our favorite Dallas spots. And I was so excited 
because they have this amazing pasta dish. And so I talked it up for like the whole car ride. You know, we were like 30 minutes. You know how you're so excited to share something you love with the people you love? Heck, we don't, we don't even share it with the people we love. We just share it with anyone who will come across our stories on Instagram, you know? And I was so excited to share this, and we got there, and when the waitress came, I was like, are we ready to order? Like, let's just get it all, drinks, everything. And so she was like, sure, I'll take your whole order. And so I, like, order the two things that I want, and I want everyone to try. And she was like, um, ma'am, I'm sorry, we actually don't have that on the menu, and I was like, uh, you did last time I was here, and that was about a month ago. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, we changed the menu. And I was like, what? Has anyone had that experience? Okay, I'm a self-proclaimed foodie, and I was livid. I was like, how dare you change your menu seasonally? I only come here to get the same thing over and over and over and over again. Or have you ever, maybe that's not the experience you've had, but you've had an experience where you have gone into something thinking you know how it's supposed to go. You know how the conversation is going to end. You know how to play this game. You know what the outcome is supposed to be. And then you're blindsided and think, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how this was supposed to work out. See, the last time we were here in this space, we just did this. Or the last time we played this game, these were the rules, and now you've changed it up. That's where this church in Romans, in Rome, is finding all of their problems coming from. See, early in the first century, the the Roman Empire, um, the the Emperor Claudius, he expelled all of the Jews from Rome for about five years. And so there was this period of time when the Christian church was literally split in half, and half of its membership, actually a, a very important part of its membership, the starting, founding members, the people who were in the Jewish faith and tradition from which Christianity was born out of because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, they are expelled from the city of Rome for five years and made to go live elsewhere. So the church is left with a lot of the new believers, those who weren't a part of the Jewish tradition and came to faith in Jesus because of their Jewish heritage. In fact, in scripture, Paul calls them Gentile believers, which simply means that they came to faith through Jesus from either other religious traditions or no religious tradition at all. They just didn't come to faith in Christ through Judaism. And so they're the only ones left in the church, but they're the newest members of the church. And they were not, they they didn't know the customs of the Jewish tradition. So as you can imagine, in five years, they keep this church going, they keep this church actually growing, and they continue to expand the mission and heart of God throughout Rome, telling anybody who will hear, there's hope, there's a new way to live. But they do it from their vantage point, from their perspective, from the way in which they came to faith. 
And so after this five-year expulsion, Jews are allowed to come back into the city of Rome. So they come back and they're like, we're back. And they come back to their church and they come back to their neighborhoods and they come back to their communities. But as you can imagine, things are not the same as the last time they were there. All of a sudden, the game has changed. And so there's this disunity that's breaking out. You know, we've all said this from time to time. Hey, 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 that's not the way we used to do it. That's not the way it's done here. Church people never say things like that. That's sarcastic because we always say things like that. In fact, you might have came in and somebody new was sitting in your seat today and you thought, well, that's where I like to sit. Who are you? Because we're human and that's part of our human nature. But it causes great disunity because not only is it uncomfortable and causes this discomfort and tension between these two groups of believers, these Gentile Christians and these Jewish Christians, it goes deeper than that. Because some of these Jewish Christians come back and say, wait, 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 wait. See, Christianity was born out of our tradition. See, Jesus was Jewish and you Gentile believers are not living into our Jewish traditions and customs. You're not living into then your faith faithfully. You're not doing this right. See, there's a construct and a framework around how your faith is supposed to go and how you follow Jesus and you're not following that so you must not be really following Jesus. And but then these Gentile believers are like, wait a minute, but we've had an experience of God. The spirit is pouring out, even though we're not using the same constructs and framework and traditions that this church was initially built upon. God is still moving. And the evidence being that people hear the gospel, people are being healed. People are coming to faith and trust and hope in Jesus, and the church has grown. And so there's this this tension between what is the right way. And so Paul speaks into that, and he writes the book of Romans. It's one of his greatest works. It's considered one of his, actually one of his deepest kind of storytelling efforts around what it truly means to follow Jesus and be a Christian. Is it really about the religious trappings we put around our faith, the constructs that we've been given that we just carry on, or is there more to it? Because as this early first century church was learning, the constructs and the traditional frameworks that they had been given for how church went all of a sudden weren't playing out the same way anymore. And have you ever felt that way? Maybe you are back in church after a while, or maybe this is your first time in a church because you've heard things about how religion works, and you thought, "Eh, that's not for me. That can't be Jesus. That can't be God. Or or maybe you're like, "There, there were good things about it when I was a kid, things that still inspire me today, but there's all these other things people have added that don't seem to really reflect the heart of God or seem at least pertinent to my faith over here. I I think many in our world feel that way. Many of us feel like, what do we do with a faith in which the spirit is moving in a way that for some is completely maybe new? 
where the old trappings, the old wineskins, as we sang in that song, aren't quite fitting anymore, but God is still moving and good things are happening and the church is being built. How do we, how do we reconcile that? And what do we do with it? And where do we then faithfully take it? And so Paul speaks into that. And I love, I love his approach. Basically, I'm going to summarize the first chapters 1 um, to 5 in Romans. And then we're going to dive into chapter 6 and look at the one answer that he gives this church for moving forward into their future and really our next step for moving into our future as a people of God and individually and in our faith and following Jesus. But in the first five chapters, this is what Paul basically says to the church. He says, you all suck. Paraphrase, you all suck. He says, do not boast in your heritage. Do not boast in your traditions. Do not boast in the way it's always been you over here. But then he says over here, and do not boast over here. Those of you who are without that heritage, but think you're better off for it. Don't, don't look down on those who have come to faith through this tradition. He says, Either one of you are not right. This isn't the which side is right game. And let me tell you, he says, no, 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 no. This is the game we're all playing. This is the life we're all living. He says, it is one in which we were all in desperate need of saving and Jesus came. In fact, he expounds for two chapters on how desperate they needed God. He says, you were lost in sin. You didn't know what you were doing. Even those of you who maybe grew up with this religion, religious tradition, that all of humanity finds itself in this great equalized position of needing God the same. See, what makes you all equal what makes neither one of these sides in the church worth boasting in and better than the other is this. We all stand on the equal footing of needing God to come and change our lives because left to our own devices, left to ourselves, we find ourselves lost, reeling, and grasping for survival and hope, but finding ourselves again and again, coming up empty. And he says, that's where you all started. That's the story of you in the first century. That's the story of us today. That's the story of humanity for all time, is that we all share in the same likeness of being in desperate need of God's hope and grace. So do not boast because of how you've come to this. He goes on and he says this in chapter six, and this is where I want to pick up and close here in the next few minutes. He says this, what then shall any of us say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? See, I'm going to stop right there because he's asking them, if we're all in desperate need of God's grace and God has saved us, not because of anything we have done, but because of the good news of Jesus and what Jesus has done, 
through his death and resurrection and life, then does it even matter what we do? Can we just keep on doing whatever we want to do, whether that's sinning or just not really caring? Why do we even then need this thing called the body of Christ, the church? He says, no, by no means. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not worth anything. But what I am saying is that we are those who because Jesus first died and rose, we have then died to sin. And how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been, with, been united with him, that being Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about baptism. It's something we do in the church that started and became big at this time in the Christian movement because Paul told them, you were lost in sin. Or in my paraphrase, you sucked. You, you had nothing going for you. You were messing up right and left. And then came Jesus. And him dying and being resurrected and coming back to new life gave you a shot for new life. And so that's what we boast in is that we have that new life, that we're born into that. See, Paul's referencing two things in these scriptures. He's referencing what happens at the beginning of humanity, our, our first story, back in a garden where we claim that God was involved in the creation of all things and humanity had a choice, was created for God, to be in relationship with God, but chose another way. And from this story Paul, that, that Paul's referencing, the story goes that this thing called sin entered the world. And we've all probably heard that word enough that it sits somewhere in us. We know intuitively a little bit of what that word means to us. But scripturally, that word sin, it simply means missing the mark or missing what we were made for. And so Paul is referencing this very beginning story in humanity. He says, from the very beginning, we were offered a choice. And humanity from the beginning chose not to live in the way of goodness, not to live in the way of life and the creation God had made, but to live in the ways of sin, which brought about 
death or the ripping apart and deconstruction of creation. And so Paul is saying that that is in our very blood. That's in our veins. We, we are bent away from goodness, but because of God, because of Jesus, we can be turned back toward our original creation, what we were made for. Paul references another story, and you may recognize it from the film, the Charleston Heston film, The Exodus this event that happened in the Jewish history. And he's talking to that part, the Jewish part of the church in Rome. And he's saying this, remember your ancestors' history? Remember that for 400 years at the beginning of their story, they were held as slaves to another kingdom and empire in Egypt, but God set them free and for 400 years, they were called to be the people of God, but they were mastered by another and couldn't live into their divine calling. Remember that? Well, remember how God set them free then? That's exactly what God and Jesus has done now for all of us. So Paul pulls on these powerful images from this ongoing redemptive story that those Christians would have known to say, your humanity is turned away naturally from God. We are prone to sin. We are prone to wonder from our calling and being the people God's called us to be. But that's not the end of the story. He says, we are prone to be taken captive. Maybe not so much us today by other people and countries and nations, but we are prone to be taken captive by our appetites, by our culture, by what we're told we should be by other people, by relationships, by our jobs. We are prone to being mastered by others. It was the same for the first century church and it's the same for us today. And Paul says, here is this, the good news. If we accept that Jesus was God in the flesh who came and died to those things, to sin and to death and to the mastery over us of other things. If Christ has died to those and was raised to new life, what's true of Jesus then is true of you because you are the people of God. If you follow Jesus, that testimony is your testimony that you can be raised to new life and start again. That's why we do baptism in the church. And actually next Sunday, we're doing our first ever baptism Sunday here at Uptown Church. And if you have not been baptized, quite simply baptism is a symbolic act of worship in the church where we live out publicly our affirmation of following Jesus, our affirmation of God's grace, where we say, I affirm that what God did in Jesus did indeed happen and it's for me and I will walk in it. I accept God's grace that has accepted me. And then two, baptism is simply our acceptance of a new identity. Because what Paul is telling this church is your identity is not found in being a Gentile Christian or a Jewish Christian. Your identity is found in your baptism into Christ, that we are all those who were in desperate need of God, 
and God found us and saved us. That is what brings us together. That's the hope that we live out and that is the hope that we give to other people. And then third, baptism is the recognition of our association in God's family. It's the unity that brings us together and reminds us that God is doing something new, not just in individuals, but God is creating a new humanity, a new family in us. And that is what is transforming the world. So I, I want to invite you to consider whether you've been baptized in the past or maybe you were baptized and you don't remember it and you're like, I want to claim my faith. I want to affirm God's grace in my life. I want to accept that God has offered me a new identity. I am not known by my sin. I'm not known by my past. I am not known by the background which I come from. I am known now by God by being raised to new life with Christ. And then I wanna accept that that new identity gives me a new family, a chosen family, a family of God to live and to be in community with and to walk out Christ's vision for the world. Because it's better than any other vision anyone can offer us. So if you would want to be baptized next week, write that on your Connect card and we'll reach out to you this week. We're gonna do it next week after service. We'll come together for worship and then outside, we're gonna spend 15 minutes together and have an amazing special baptism service where we publicly affirm, this is who I am now. This is the family I belong to and God's grace is yes for me. And I wanna walk in it. That's how Paul starts off this book and this letter as to how you live in a fractured world, how you reconcile even a fractured church is you start with your identity in Christ. Start there. And then we're gonna keep on going because he shows us some other things in Romans in the next few weeks. I hope you'll be back to join us. Because he says, how do we relate to other people who don't believe what we believe? How, how do we embrace those who haven't quite embraced what we have? And how do we live in this world faithful to this new identity in Christ, even when the world around us seems to reject it? Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit UptownChurchDallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.